Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hey everybody, welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Brian Souders. Before we get to Brian, I have a few announcements. First, please go to our website. It's TravelTalesPodcast.com. There you can see photos of our guests. You can see articles that they've written, articles that I've written. You can see links to all our social media. And that is, of course, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter. There's links to our Facebook page. There's also links to where you can listen to the show other than our Art19 player on our own site. You can listen to us on all your podcast streaming devices. Let's see. There's uh, Apple Podcasts. We got a link there. We got a link to Stitcher Radio. We're also on Spotify. Find us there. Find us anywhere you get your podcasts. And since I'm not jamming ads down your throat, and I do this as a labor of love, all I ask from you is to give us a good rating on those streaming services. I'd appreciate it because that boosts our presence, which helps more people find the show. So say some nice things, give us a thumbs up, and please subscribe. I'd appreciate it. Hey, you want to write me? Maybe you want to say some nice things. Maybe you uh, have a guest in mind that you think would be great for the show. Maybe you think you'd be good for the show. Or maybe you just want to talk travel. Whatever. You can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. All right, let's get to Brian Souders. Brian is a guy who contacted me out of nowhere. He heard the show Brian is in Sweden. Yes, he's an American guy, but he is in Sweden. He spent most of the year there. He's lived there over the years because his ex-wife is Swedish and his kids are there. So he goes back and forth from his home here and in the L.A. area. And he found himself getting locked down in uh, Sweden. He's been to a lot of places. He works on the production side of TV sports for big events like the Olympics and stuff. So he gets to go all over the world. And he loves to talk travel, like I do. So I was glad that he contacted me, and we had a nice Zoom chat, of which you'll hear right now. Brian is not a blogger or a travel influencer in any way. He's just a guy who's been around the world and likes to travel and likes to talk about it, which I can dig. He is on Instagram, though, and you can follow him at Brian Souders, B-R-Y-A-N-S-O-U-D-E-R-S. He's got some cool pictures on there. He lived on a houseboat for a few years, which I found pretty cool. And he's just a, a traveler. He likes an adventure and likes to get out there and see the world, which I can totally appreciate. So if you want to follow him on Instagram, please do so. He's also a supporter, he wanted to mention, of the L.A. Food Bank, which is lafoodbank.org. And since we recorded this back in December 17th, right before Christmas, we're in the giving season. So he wanted to put that out there if you're still uh, into giving, which should be an all-year-round thing. Consider the L.A. Food Bank. And we'll have a link to that at TravelTalesPodcast.com. It was great to meet him, so please enjoy my conversation with Brian Souders. Brian Souders, 
Okay, now you are currently in Sweden. Where in Sweden? I'm in the south of Sweden. I'm in a, a village called Dagebaya, um, south of Kristianstad, about an hour from Malmö. And why? <laughs> that would be the bigger question. I mean, are you from there? No, I, my ex-wife was from here, and I have two kids, and that's how I was. I've been able to continue to travel because I have exemptions to get into Sweden on the basis that I have children here. So um, this is where I pretty much hung out, like back and forth. It's been a base for me, uh, like a second home uh, for twenty years. So um, yeah, I came here, and that's it. Where do you live normally? LA. Like I, I was living on a sailboat in Redondo beach for the last six years. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Cause I noticed on your Instagram, there's a lot of boat, a lot of boating happening and you yeah. were living, you were living in the boat. You're, you're like houseboat kind of thing. That was your home. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Did well, you have a, did you have a, like a normal, like quote unquote normal life before that, like a job or uh, any kind of set home or were you always on the move? I was always on the move. So I work in sports television and I'm, I'm, I travel around the country doing all kinds of travel around the country, uh, but also other countries. Uh, I was in Rio for FIFA. I was a Winter Olympics in Sochi, Russia for six months. So being on the road all the time, I didn't really make sense to have an apartment. So I just I found like there was this medium happy, happy place for me where I'd fly into L.A., and instead of going and dropping off my bags at an apartment that I was paying for, but never spending any time at, I would go to LAX and just go directly to the boat where I was going to spend three or four days before I went out on the next job. Got it. So when you say you worked uh, in sports TV, were you a cameraman or your producer? What did you do? I did uh, infrastructure. So basically laid out like all the um, camera cables to get the camera picture back to the directors. And, and then from the director, we take and we go transmission. So we send the signal up to satellite or fiber optic. Okay. Are you like a, uh, an actual California native? Yeah. I was born in Los Angeles. An actual native. I don't meet too yep. many of them. Here. I, I don't either. <laughs> in the South Bay, were you like always in the South Bay or were you like moved born around? At UCLA, you born at UCLA medical and then actually was in the South Bay. until like, you know, you know, my parents moved to like East of Los Angeles and we, we, we went over there. I went to high school there, but I started I started moving around and traveling right out of high school, you know. So um, as soon as I got um, I, the first place that I got was like a boat. And that was when I went back to the South Bay. But that was, you know, uh, 30 years later. <laughs> so where did the uh, Swedish woman come in and how how old are the kids now? Yeah, they're they're grown up. Um, Swedish woman. So living in L.A., <laughs> Uh, I, I used to work up at Universal, so I did some. I was doing a live show up there. Uh, I met this girl, and yeah, we hit it off, and we had a couple kids, and we were basically that those people that were living in Los Angeles, and they were like, you know, oh, the city, we're gonna get out of here. The four hundred five is horrible, right? <laughs> um, and we were, yeah. So basically, my story is what happens to those people that get up and leave, right? So <laughs> we did. So we we went back to Sweden. And, uh, and, uh, and then our marriage fell apart. So what I did was to see my kids, I, I traveled back and forth from Los Angeles to Sweden five times a year for 10 years. 
And a lot of times when I'd come over to Sweden to see my kids and my time was you know, limited to my visitations, I was already in Europe. So I would just jump on a train and I just, yeah. I so took there, in, there weren't enough uh, blondes in Southern California. You had to go all the way to Sweden to find another one? <laughs> well, she came to LA. <laughs> she came to right. She blended in with the rest of the blondes. So. Yeah. <laughs> so how was that adjustment for for a California kid? Uh, you know, I'm from Chicago. I, I grew up in cold weather, but how did you adjust? Uh, 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 you know what? The adjustment is, yeah, it's hard growing up in Southern California. <laughs> yeah. It's Mediterranean climate. Uh, you know, the, you, you play in the water year round. Uh, and in Chicago, is not, I've spent a couple, you know, winters, you know, working like jobs, you know, whatever, uh, three, four weeks, two months at a time in Chicago. What, what I lack right now in Sweden is sunlight. The sun goes down at three twenty nine. Yeah. And that's the hardest adjustment. I've got one of these fake, uh, sun lamps and, uh, that, uh, yeah, that tricks me a little bit. It, it fools me. It's, <laughs> it's not too bad. It's not too bad. I, and I'm out, I'm hiking every day. I'm riding my bicycle every day. Uh, so it's really good. You're riding your bicycle. What's the temperature now? It's December. Yeah, it's been pretty good. It's been like 37 today. So I, <laughs> oh, man. I was on my bicycle today in the rain with, with a light on, but you know, that's what you, that's what you do. I actually called my buddy and I was like, Hey, what do you, what do you wear for, when it, you know, for riding your bike when it rains, you know, so I could prepare and stuff. And he was like, no, if it's raining, I don't go out. You know, <laughs> he <Yeah>. lives here. <laughs> and there I am just riding my bike around in the rain. I so. always tell people that, you know, for people who grew up out here, it's not when I talk about the winters back home, like in, in the Midwest and stuff like that. You knew the cold was coming. You knew the snow was coming. But it was those endless gray days. Like you could go like two weeks not really seeing the sun. And that would wear on you. I mean, you, you see why they give manic depressives light therapy and stuff like that because yeah. it really wears your mood down yeah that's why i bought that it's called a sad light <laughs> seasonal <laughs> affective disorder or something and i just turn it on just to trick myself i just put it on in the corner like oh this and honestly i woke up the other day and i put it on a timer as well like a christmas timer and i, and I open my eyes and i'm all oh man, the sun's out today. Like I woke up groggy, not realizing that it was me that put a sun lamp on a timer. Yeah. <laughs> so you've been, you've been going back and forth to Sweden for what, roughly 20 years or so? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So how much international travel did you do before you met your, uh, your ex-wife and, and really went back and forth? I mean, were you a pretty seasoned traveler before that? No, no. Like I always wanted to travel. Like I can remember, you know, being, uh, yeah, just being a kid. I remember uh, picking up that National Geographic that had King Tut's mask on the cover. I mean, that must have been like late 70s, maybe early 80s. I don't know what it was. Yeah, it was like but 78, remember, 79. Yeah, like I wanted to travel. I always wanted to. And I was 29 and I still hadn't been anywhere. I had a passport because I got lucky and traveled with my dad down to Tahiti. Um, something his his job paid for. And uh so I had it, but I always wanted to travel. And then I met my ex-wife and she had been a lot of places. She's a Swede, right? And um, probably she, I'm going to guess she knows about six languages. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's close. I mean, yeah. <laughs> French, German, Swedish, English. I mean, she was strongest, you know, in English and Swedish, sure, but yeah. uh, 
but studied them and, and my kids as well, they went to school here. So they, you know, between the two of them, they speak a few languages, you know, um, it's less common now, actually, it's kind of interesting, but, um, yeah. So when I met her, it was kind of like, that was, I mean, it was one of the things obviously that attracted me to her as well, uh, that I was, you know, we were going to travel. We talked about traveling we were going to do this. So, uh, I first went to Europe with her to Sweden. We actually got married in Sweden. Uh, I had a couple jobs in broadcasting that we basically moved to Mexico for a little while, moved to Jamaica for a little while. And then we picked up and moved out of LA, went to Sweden and then our marriage fell apart. But I wasn't, like I said, I wasn't done traveling. That basically she gave, she catapulted me into this, like, yeah, you just get on a plane and you go, you know? And, uh, once I was going back and forth, like I, I explained, I would just spent this money to get to Sweden. I was here. I visited my children, the allotted time that visitations allowed, but I still had days open on my calendar. So here's a, you know, $72 flight on Ryanair to, you know, Croatia. <laughs> or, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and I just started knocking off countries and yeah, it just became really um, normal for me and alone. Like I was just, you know, by myself. Yeah. So were there, uh, was there a go-to country that you always find yourself going back to? Like, I'll always go back to like Italy and Spain when I get the chance and Croatia, I've been to like five times. And is there, what are your, some of your favorites? Um, so Amsterdam is a hub. I mean, that's like always my hub. Um, I, once I get into there, you know, it's short flight all around Europe. Uh, I, you know, I did a really good job of, I, I, I wasn't going to return to a country. I met a lot of people that like, like I got, I finally, you know, I met this woman, I was traveling, I wanted to see new things. And I met a lot of people that were like, oh, I went to Costa Rica last year. Oh, that's awesome. You know, oh, I'm going again next year. And I was like, well, don't you want to see something else? Like they, they kind of get in this, like, I'm going to Croatia every year and then never, you know, I imagine, you know, it, it was, it's a big jump to go, you know, to, uh, like Costa Rica or whatever. Um, the first country, probably like 40 countries in that I went to more than once, which wasn't, you know, landing in Amsterdam or coming back to Sweden. I finally went to Croatia and I mean, just got there, just looking around and going, I'm coming back here again, very soon. Like I'd already been everywhere else. And this was the place where I was just like, this is my spot, you know? Um, that was like the first place I went back to. Do you find yourself as a Californian kind of being attracted to any, the, the, to the Mediterranean and, and cause the climate and the, um, I don't know, the terrain and everything. It's all very Californian when you get down there. It's very similar. Yeah, no, I, I, I recognize that that's what it draws me to it. <clears throat> you know, getting like into the middle East and, dates grow on trees just like they do you know out by palm springs and um yeah the mediterranean climate i mean you know australia south africa all over the mediterranean the only place i haven't been is chile and that's like my next spot i want to go check out that's like the fifth mediterranean climate and i'm drawn to it i want to check it out yeah you follow the the wine trail <laughs> yeah I'm not a big not a big wine person but yeah but that's all like connected you know for sure right. Are you a foodie person or are you like into the cuisines? Um, 
Yeah. I mean, I eat, when I get local, I eat local. I mean, that's really what I, I enjoy. Like if I'm in Vietnam, I'm, I, I'm not doing like fancy food. Like if I'm right. in Vietnam, I'm sitting in an alley yeah. on a tiny having, stool. Having faux soup for breakfast. Yeah. And on a, <laughs> on a tiny stool and like someone's just coming out and they're like, I don't know what door they came out of, but they've got this giant pan <laughs> and they're just starting to cook. Um, uh, Egypt, you know, same thing. There's a restaurant, but they're serving food. You could get that food in LA. Like right, right. The, the menu <laughs> looks exactly the same. Right. So I'm usually walking up to some place that people are like, are you sure you want to eat that? Like, you don't, what's going on? I don't know. I, I want to eat this Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Any, um, uh, any, uh, how's your stomach? Any food poisonings or anything like that? Uh, you know what? I got Montezuma's revenge one time, almost, you know, 17 years ago in Acapulco. And ever since I've never had a problem, never had a problem. And I don't know if that was like the one time my body had to be like, okay, get ready. Here it comes. So <laughs> how about uh, injuries or anything? You're a pretty active guy. Have you ever, ever had to go to like a hospital in another country? Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I, I, I went over the bars of my bicycle here in Sweden um, while I was on a visit in, back in like 2010, busted my clavicle into like three pieces uh, they I went down for surgery. They, they put me, went to the doctor. The doctor sent me to the hospital. The hospital saw me. They made me a schedule for a week later, put me in, put me under. I still have a plate in here. Uh, stayed the night in the hospital, went home the next day. I rode the bus to get myself like 30 miles to the hospital, came out of the hospital, rode myself in a bus 30 miles back. Um, and they gave me a bill for like 150 bucks. <laughs> yeah, would have been ten thousand dollars in the, in the U.S. That would have been lucky. Um, <laughs> Mexico, I've been down. I've been in their doctor's office, but never, you know, like, yeah. I'm not. I guess I'm going to consider myself pretty lucky. Yeah, no, that that I, is <laughs> coming from the guy that just I went over the bars. Yeah, a lucky guy. It's like I'm a lucky guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, still, could have been much worse. You know, the yeah, um, for sure. How about like border crossings? Ever had to deal with police or uh, bribe anybody to get out of a jam? No. Yeah. I, I okay. So here's my. This is my best like border crossing story. I uh, I, I was in Russia, and to the south is a, cu- a country called um, Abkhazia, which is like former Georgia. It's just like within the last twenty years that you know Russia drove tanks down there, like it was a big deal. So it's not recognized by the United States. And, and I got a couple friends and I'm like, Hey, let's go to this place. You know <laughs> why? Because it's a bad idea. And <laughs> we go down and there's, there's a, there's a Russian booth and they're like, Hey, where are you guys, where are you guys going? We're like, Oh, we're going to Abkhazia. And they're speaking only Russian to this. You know, we had a couple of Russian friends with us. And then the last words they said, as we kept going, they're like, good luck. I was like, okay. We get to another, get to another spot and they're like, uh, yeah, you can't come in here. He goes back in the office, comes back. And I don't know, maybe he was looking for a bribe, you know, but I just, I'm like, nah, I'm not, I'm not going to do that or whatever. And so he finally comes out and he's like, okay, you can keep going, go to a third checkpoint or what we're crossing on foot. And I walk up and I've got my passport at this point, I've already got pages sewn in it, stitched in it, you know? So 
it looks like a wreck. <laughs> and I go before my friends and uh, they're looking at me and the person's looking at my book and you hear this click and this big metal door just starts rolling down. Like it's a roll up door, like single wide and it's rolling down and I'm just watching my friends and following their eyes under the door and I'm getting lower and lower and, I'm, and they're like, what's going on? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> then they tell the story that the door opens up and I'm gone. Well, they took me into a room because they didn't, you know, they didn't like uh, my passport. They didn't like the way it looked. And uh, uh, yeah, and I just kept, I said, you can call them. I said, that's what we do. We stitch pages in. But they, they eventually let me through. And then on the way back from Abkhazia, because we wound up in this mountain resort where they made homemade vodka and um, cognac, one of my friends, he like, he doesn't even remember crossing the border. Like that was the, that was the, that's probably the funniest border crossing I've ever seen because he's like, you know, he's like drunk leaning up against uh, <laughs> my friend. And the next morning he's like, how he's back in Russia. Like he doesn't even remember entering Russia. That was, yeah, that's my border crossing story, but never, no, nah, never had to do anything like that. And the, the closest I came to ever overstaying a visit was just recently here in Sweden, I was supposed to be out on the 11th and yeah. And yeah. the day that I was supposed to leave, they, uh, they gave me an extension. So, and, and I was going to overstay. My plan was to stay over four or five days because from what I understood, that's not really, uh, they're not going to hit me with the $1,500 Euro fine or kick me out for two years, like four or five days they were going to overlook. So well, what did you get to Sweden? I've been this, this last year, I probably spent more time in Sweden actually than the States. I, I know that I know that I have. Yeah. Um, I got here the first time during the pandemic um, when it started and I so came like here. February, March. My first trip was March and the pandemic was coming. So I basically, I was like, I need to get there before they shut everything down. And I stayed, um, stayed for a little while trying to think yeah i stayed and there was a new there was a the the newspaper the news said you know come back to the united states or if you're abroad you're staying indefinitely right and i don't i packed for like seven days <laughs> and i was like you know instinctively i was just like i'm not gonna go back when everybody else in the world is trying to get back you know and also from traveling as much as i have i was i was they're not gonna not let me no one's going to tell me I can't go back to the United States. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, and being in, and I understand a lot of people had to get back because maybe flights were going to stop, but I'm in, you know, I'm in Europe. Like I can, I can take a bus down to, you know, Paris, or I could even, you know, take the tunnel and get over to UK. Like there's, I'm going to yeah. be able to find a flight. It's not like you so were I, trapped in Azkaban or whatever. <laughs> what was the place? Exactly. What was the name of the country? Well, oh, Abkhazia. Abkhazia. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I went to Harry Potter over with the, was that Azkaban? <laughs> <laughs> well, before we get to the COVID stuff, I want to get to that later, but I want to ask you about um, Abkhazia. I mean, once you got in, I'd never heard of this place. What What is it like? So, yeah, this, there's like remnants of things on the street, like pieces of tractor treads. And it's it sounds like Abkhazia, right? It sounds like. <laughs> yeah, um, that's what I imagine so, it. What I, I read on the internet that we needed to somehow get to the city center to have them approve that we could be there as Americans. But 
after they put me in the room, they looked at following my passport was were many more passports and they, um, they just, they let us in. So there's one girl with us and she, we walked out and just very, very reminiscent of like walking across San Diego into Tijuana. Right. Um, bunch of, bunch of vans, <clears throat> guys going, Hey, where you guys want to go? Our plan was to go to the beach and we'd heard about these, they make this homemade vodka and this homemade cognac. Right. So this is what we're going to do is we're going to go and, uh, do this. And one of these guys sells, sells our friend on going up to this mountain resort called Lake Ritza, where Stalin kept his summer home. And it's like this treacherous road, right? <laughs> it's just crazy. This treacherous road getting up to the mountain. The driver stops. He talks to like three locals that all looked like they had the winter. They looked like the Elmer Fudd hat and yeah, they had yeah. rifles. Oh, And yeah. And, and we go past them and we wind up in this, there's no heating, there's no electricity. There's a fire in the middle of the room. And there we eat. I don't know if you're familiar with shashlik. No. So it's like, yeah, it's like this Russian dish, but it actually kind of comes from Georgia. It's basically it's pork loin, uh, marinated in onions and wine. And it's like really, it's like a big deal. Yeah. It's, it's like, like, a, it's like it's, a goulash or something. It's like a, like a stew almost. No, no. It's like barbecue. It's like, Oh, right. Okay. Barbecue. Um, but it's, and it's cooked in this open fire and we, and there's five of us, six of us. And we sit at this table and we're getting, I mean, we're getting hammered. We're playing <laughs> drinking games. And then this guy comes in and he doesn't speak any, any English at all. But, and then we're told that we are the first Americans to ever be in this village on the top of this hill. And I'm like, you know, people tell you that you go places. Yeah. So you're American, so you get a special <laughs> deal. Okay. Right. right. But, you know, there, there may have been some truth to this. And this guy sits down and we're Americans. And he's like, I haven't, you know, I haven't, I haven't drinking in eight years. So he chucks his sobriety and starts drinking with us. And then this guys at the other table come over and it's his birthday. So they just put this nine millimeter clock on the table and, uh, I don't, and I don't like, it's a gift, like it's a joke or something. And they're trying to explain to us what's going on. And I'm, and I'm like trying to get the guy to let me shoot the gun outside, you know, <laughs> but I'm just, all I'm doing is making noise and, uh, noises. And I'm just like, bang, 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 you and me outside, bang, bang. Come on. Like, I don't know. He was probably yeah. like, does this guy want to shoot? Yeah, no, that doesn't know. sound, like, sound like you want to have a duel. <laughs> yeah. So I never got to shoot that gun. Um, <laughs> Oh, so now we got to get out of this. Now the sun's going down the ice. The roads are icing up because it's, we're up in these mountains. It's cold. It's, uh, what, yeah, no, it's December. It was December. And there's on the way up, we saw this. There's this, it's called like the Blue Lagoon on this road. It's like this 200 feet deep pool roadside. Um, and we basically stopped the van because there's all these sheep. Get out of there. And, um, yeah. Next thing you know, I'm skinny dipping. There's like snow on the ground. People are screaming at me. I'm like, it just felt right. You know, it felt like the thing to do. I mean, if you don't know the rules, then there probably aren't any or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and then that basically led up to going back down to the border. And my one friend that was just 
Yeah, he was he was so drunk. He doesn't remember crossing the border. He just was <laughs> leaning up against. Yeah, like I said, my Russian friend that was doing all the talking at the booth. Um, but that's really all we really all we saw there. It's amazing how I uh, made it to the beach. So I can't. Right. It's amazing how vodka has has a way of making decisions for you. <laughs> that maybe yeah, you wouldn't. I mean, and and. I, I'm not a big, like I was taking it easy. I'm not, I don't drink like hard alcohol. I stay away from it. I'm like a light beer guy, you know, like micheladas are my thing. Like that's my go-to. Yeah, no, like me jumping in that pool. Like if you ask people that know me, like that, that would have been, that's my character anyway. You know, I would (laughs) have, I would have been doing that regardless. I I admit there was, vodka did have some influence. Um, Not to glamorize on your show here that, uh, (laughs) you know, you should go to Abkhazia. Hey, you know what? Was that like a a hot spring, like a natural hot spring, or was it a freezing water? So there was snow on the ground, and it was just recently. I was like, "What? That was crazy! Like that water had to be so cold." And um, (laughs) because it's like two hundred feet deep, I read that it kept at a certain temperature all year round. Oh, and so it wasn't that bad. It was something like thirty-eight or forty-two. I mean, still freezing, but not freezing, freezing. Like it should have been. Another body of water probably would have been frozen. Russia's on my uh, one of my my bucket list uh, that I have left. I've been to almost a hundred countries, but I still haven't been to Russia. It's it's on my list, but it was never really high on my list. It's not up at the top because I mean, there's a lot working against it in terms yeah. of. Well, I mean, you need a visa is one, and two, it's um, you know, it's insanely corrupt, and uh, yeah, <laughs> from what I, and. Uh, uh, the weather is not great, and the food never interests me that much. I mean, cult- historically, it's fascinating, and I'm sure. And I'm, I'm I don't like to prejudge a place before I go, so I'll always I'll, I'm going to go eventually. But how do you well, find it coming from uh, having been around it a little bit? Am I off base or? Mm. I mean, I would say you, you you're gonna you're gonna go to Russia. You have to go to Russia, sure, because you can't not go to Russia. Uh, Sochi is subtropic climate. There's palm trees there. It's it's crazy, right? Well, like, that's what you know, I heard about it when you yeah. know when they had the Winter Olympics there. Everybody who knew it, it was like Sochi, really. <laughs> it was like yeah. it's warm. I mean, was it even cold enough for the Winter Olympics? That was a real worry, right? So we had, and I was actually there working the Winter Olympics. So we had, oh. yeah, I did. I did six months there, and um, we did all you know, like ice skating, two hockey venues, opening ceremonies. All that was right on on the black sea so but then all the ski jumping and snowboarding and half pipe and everything like that that was up in the mountains and honestly that was about the difference of like yeah it was like la to let's say wrightwood like uh what's that uh, mountain high oh yeah like big bear yeah. or something so it was like an hour yeah. and a half away mm-hmm. yeah so that basically that's what it was, but you can also imagine in like Los Angeles, when you have a bad winter in LA, like you don't have any snow, like there's yeah. just no snow in Wrightwood. There's no snow in big bear. So yeah, they got hit with a little bit of that, um, <laughs> regarding Russia and what I would say to, uh, yeah, anybody that wanted to go. So if you enter St. Petersburg and you work on cruise ships, right? Well, I know you can you can go uh, for seventy two hours, I guess, and you have to yeah. be, uh, but it has to be guided. Like there has to be like a tour thing. You can't just go wander off on your own. I don't think. But if you're okay. not on the, 
but that's like a special it's only 72 hours right i think i i believe it's something like that um but you have but you but so you can get in that way and you can see st petersburg but honestly you got to get out of st petersburg because st petersburg is so i mean it's it's like you think you're in paris it's so western yeah it's touristy everything yeah everything that drew me into like russia was just like you know it's just dark and i'll tell you what you have to see is the subways in moscow because they were built in like the 20s and unlike you know new york or la and they're like i mean la they're already refurbishing some of them they built these things in the 20 20s and they haven't touched them and there's this (laughs) art and these mosaics and everything it's just beautiful under there right I got to like St. Petersburg and I saw, I was in a mall cause I was buying a pair of shoes and this mall I was in put anything I'd seen in New York city to shame. Like it was, I mean, just so extravagant and you know, these Christmas trees hanging and upside down. Like it was like all modern art. And, um, and I was just like, eh, Russia's not as, you know, it, it was, it's just, it's, it's an extension of Western Europe. Yeah. Yeah. I heard so, there's like Moscow and St. Petersburg and then there's the rest of Russia. You know, that's yeah. almost like it's like someone visiting New York and thinking they saw America. It's like, no, yeah, <laughs> I right. mean, you did, but you didn't <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean. You once you get out into the country, it's like that's then, you know, you're in Russia. But uh, I would say, I mean, Moscow still does have those areas where you oh, still sure. get yeah. that feeling of, you know, where St. Petersburg was like. Yeah, it's just so westernized. And it's expensive there too, right? Those cities, like Moscow yeah. and Saint Petersburg. Yeah, yeah I, mean, I heard they're yeah. expensive. Saint Petersburg for sure. Yeah, like it's like I said, it's like going like Western Europe, like going to Paris and being like, "How did I just spend three hundred dollars today? <laughs> what happened here?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's what I would say. I would say, yeah, you got to go there. I mean, yeah, I don't know how I got in there on a six month work visa. I had to, you know, they had to test us for HIV and, and all that stuff. Like it was, it wasn't easy. Right. But, but there did, were you, no, did you see any like a heavy, like police presence and, and, and that kind of uh, thing? And Sochi, there was place everywhere. Right. So, because it was the, Olympics well, it was the Olympics. And, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> back to Abkhazia, <laughs> <laughs> we came across the border, basically me and, my buddies went down there with a couple girls that we knew. And then we came back across the border. There was this police officer and, um, he, I, I talked about him. So this police officer, mm-hmm. uh, but we didn't wind up in his car. He wound up in our car somehow. So we're like going from the border of Abkhazia back up into Sochi where we lived. And there's, and I'm like, yeah, I'm like looking at my friend going, why is there a cop in the car with us? <laughs> and apparently he like had a crush on one of the girls that we went over the border with, which is, I mean, there's a, there's a problem to have, you know what I mean? Yeah. When your boy is crushing on the same girl that the cop is. <laughs> yeah. So, but that never, never turned into anything as far as, you know, trouble. I think he wound up going to dinner with us too or something, but. <laughs> it's so she, if I'm going there, I mean, I know it's a little far out of the way from Moscow and, and St. Petersburg, but other than Moscow and St. Petersburg, is Sochi worth a visit? And where else should we go that maybe it's off the beaten path? Like if, um, <clears throat> so here's what I did. I, I did Sochi, Abkhazia, Moscow, and then I'm a train guy. So did the high-speed train from Moscow to St. Petersburg. 
Um, Sochi's, I mean, it's, you say like out of the beaten path, it's actually probably like a 45 minute flight from Istanbul, you know? So you want to see that part. There's, there's Sochi. um, And then from Sochi, you can get to the mountain resorts, right? Which is, they're kind of cool. They're cool, but they're also, they were built for the Olympics. So everything's really brand new which is an interesting side of Russia. Um, and then from there, like, obviously you can go down into Abkhazia and, uh, that's really, that's really all I saw, but it's, but if you're in Istanbul, yeah, it's, I mean, it's worth like, you can touch Russia. It's one <laughs> of those weird ones, right? Like Russia's yeah. giant, like the largest country on the planet. But if you step foot in Sochi, after a 45 minute flight from Istanbul, like, Oh yeah, I've been to Russia. Right. Oh yeah. Russia. But you can get <laughs> down on the beach. You can get the, the shashlik, you know, they're cooking it right there on grills. Um, you know, find yourself some, uh, yeah, goulash and all that stuff. So, uh, well, yeah. so I, I know you've seen a ton of, uh, Europe. So outside of Europe, I mean, you talked about Vietnam and what are some of the other spots around the world you've been to? I mean, I love Asia myself, Southeast Asia, especially, I mean, where are some of the highlights? Um, yeah, I'm trying to think here. Uh, Japan, Japan, actually, I, I went to Japan was, I'm going to call like, it was kind of like my hook with, um, traveling. Uh, went to Tahiti with my dad, came to Sweden with my ex-wife, uh, a couple of times actually moved here but I hadn't really traveled much other than, I mean, it's, you know, there's a lot of people out there like, yeah, I lived in Sweden, but I haven't traveled much. You're like, well, that's a lot. Well, hadn't traveled like, like we have now, you know what I mean? Like seen, seen it all and taken it in. So I went to Japan was like the first place I went over there and I was, uh, in Osaka and I was, and it was, I just found it amazing. It was, it was great. My phone was like a GSM phone and they didn't, they didn't cover that. So here I am in Japan. I got no connection with the world. No, no one's speaking English and I'm on a bicycle. I'm always on a bicycle and um, <laughs> just following my buddy through these alleys and like chickens are running out of the way and we're, we're blasting through like linen that's hanging, you know, between two buildings and people are yelling at us. And I remember getting off that bike and just feeling like this rush and just disconnected from everything. And it felt so good. And that's actually when I just started, started, you know, traveling. Um, I, and then I, I didn't have anybody to travel with me. So I was just going by myself shortly after that. I just got on a plane and went to, um, Beijing. And I was like, Hey, I'm going to Beijing. Like who's going with you? I was like, nobody, you know, I don't, no one wants to go. Um, and then almost to a point where it got like, I had nothing else to do. And I was like, if I have nothing to do, I'm going to travel. I'm going to go somewhere. I 11 o'clock at night, one night bored. I booked a ticket to Argentina that was leaving at 6 a.m. the next morning. Just got on the plane, did no research, got there, went to an ATM, pulled out local currency, went to the information booth. You know, they told me I could get downtown what was it like 40, $45 in a taxi, $12 in a shared van or 50 cents. If I just started walking away from the airport towards the bus. And I was like, I'm going for an adventure. I'm going to, I'm going to go find that bus. And that was my, you know, 
this is the second time I'm going to bring up chickens, <laughs> but you know, I was on the bus with like the chickens and again, no one's, and I thought people were going to speak my language. I really went there going, everybody's going to speak English. Where, where in Buenos Aires? Yeah. And, and I yeah. <laughs> did not find that. And do what find that. is, do you, have you taken up any other, I mean, do you know Swedish by now or do you, uh, how's your Spanish or anything, any other language? Ah, uh, man. I, I, I blame, what do I blame? I should blame myself, but no, man, I don't, I, I didn't, I was never exposed to other languages until I was at least 30. Everybody that well, I met. I mean, you're from LA too. I mean, we should all know yeah. Spanish here. I mean, yeah. you and I are minorities in LA County officially. Yeah. 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 I mean, <laughs> I, I should, I mean, obviously, you know, I can, everybody can order a beer, you know? Um, yeah. 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 Uh, so I mean, I understand a little bit like, oh, I don't know. I can't even say that. It's so weird because, you, you know, when you travel and you meet these people that speak four languages and they speak them fluently, like just saying that you speak any language a little bit, it just seems like, yeah, do you? <laughs> do you really? <laughs> um, Swedish, I can speak enough to where people think I can speak it. But then when they, they talk, talk to me, I don't understand a word. And that's, I think I learned from like a book that like Stockholm language and I'm in the South, um, and that people talk faster. It's so funny when they teach you a language and they call it teaching you a language, they don't teach you how to talk a language, not really how to understand a language. You know, they don't teach understanding. And I just, I, it, I don't know if my attention span, I just <laughs> never wrap my head around it. Well, in Sweden, you could, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people just walking into a place probably assume you're Swedish. I mean, you, you could pass pretty, and you're tall and everything else. You look like a Swede. I mean, you could uh, easily blend in. Yeah, you know what? And I used to, when I, I was trying to learn the language, and I spoke the language actually years ago. And I, with like one a friend of mine that I was working with, and he didn't speak it at all. So I had to speak it with him. And that's where I learned. And I could understand him and he could understand me. But it was like this one guy. And um, I just, I, I would go into the store and they'd be like, they'd talk to me in Swedish. And I'd try to train my ear. And I'd, I'd say, Ingontil, which is just like, can you, hey, can you say that one more time? <laughs> but just by me saying Ingontil, they, I mean, they, like, they could tell that I, I spoke English, but it wasn't like British English. And, you know, like, like I have like <laughs> oh, this. Oh, American. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and probably more specific, like LA or something, you know? Um, <laughs> and people would just be like, oh, 120 crones, please. And I'd be like, oh, that's not helping me. So I got to the point where I'd say, hey, uh, Ingontil Polsvenska talk, you know, like, can you say that one more time, but in Swedish, please. Um, and I did that for a while. And like I said, that helped me. But nowadays, I literally I walk and I'm like, all right, how much is that? And they're just like, all right, what? <laughs> you know, uh, it's I, like, uh, and, and you've been to Amsterdam. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, well, I, so, and uh, I work a lot on Holland America. Oh, okay. um, so, and so, so all the Dutch, the Dutch speak English better than most Americans. And, you know, yeah, they, so you, they have a great accent. I mean, they, they speak it very well. Yeah. And you I mean, when you walk up to people, you just assume they speak English. And it's pretty much like that here in Sweden. Yeah. You know, um, but it makes us lazy. But, you know what it is? Oh, it, but, it really yeah, does. Yeah. It's such an advantage. But I, that's one of the things I say on this show that to Americans anyway, who are afraid to travel, I'm going, you already speak the closest thing to a world language. And that's your number one. I mean, you have no idea what an advantage that is. You know, I've, I've been in countries where, you know, a guy was from Italy 
And I had a German woman tell me this in Vietnam once. We were going out somewhere. She's like, I'm because they immediately if the tour is either in Vietnamese or it's going to be in English. You know, there's no like there was no German tour. There was no mm-hmm. Italian tour, Spanish, you know, so. And so she would say to me, it's like, you're so lucky because I'm translating twice in my head. Yet I'm hearing it. He's doing it in English and I have to go from English back to German. You know what I mean? In, in her yeah. head. And I didn't have to do that. I found myself translating. This guy's English was so heavily accented and bad, but I was getting it. But these French women next to me were just like, I don't know. We don't understand what he's saying. And I was like, oh, he's saying this. And I would say it in more proper English that they could right. understand. So it's just like, it's such an advantage that we have, you know? And, and I say, we got to take it. You know, it may not always be that way. It might be Chinese soon. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we nope. got to use it. We're spoiled right now for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But Argentina, I mean, I can, my Spanish is bad but i can kind of get by usually but uh i've i've said this before and argentina was the one their accent is so crazy that i couldn't get it like i was right. i was lost man and they their their spanish sounds italian to the ear it's very weird it's like us going to scotland you know it's like it's english but it isn't you know what i mean right. it's crazy that's a hard accent scottish i found to be the toughest uh, in english anyway yeah. Um, so of all the places you've been, what's on your bucket list? Where are you? Where haven't you been that you're dying to get to? Other than you said Chile. Yeah, Chile. Um, I, my plan is if whenever I can, the next place I'm going back to is Croatia. That's like the next thing on the list. I want to get down to Chile, Peru. Uh yeah, I you know, I you said you got like almost a hundred countries. Like when you hit, you know, like 60, I you know, I look at a map and it's like if I'm gonna just really tackle a bunch more <laughs> countries, like I'm I need to go to Africa and I just need to rip right through the middle, you know? Yeah. And I've yeah. been I've been to a few, you know, African countries already, but um yeah, I don't know. And I I don't know. I would recommend Kenya and Tanzania. I was just okay. in, uh, Rwanda really impressed me. Okay. Uh, I was just there last year, Rwanda and Uganda looking, uh, I was at the, um, did a trekking with the gorillas in, oh, wow. uh, in Uganda and, and Rwanda. And that was really amazing. But Rwanda, I would really recommend. You've been to South Africa, you said? Yeah, I did. Okay. A, I mean, that was a fun trip. I did a whole, I did a road trip all the way. Um, yeah. From Cape Town all the way to Durban. Like, oh, wow. Just, just okay. did it all. in one of those, you know, like a little, little car uh <laughs> tiny little car not one of the rabbits but you know like a toyota yaris and it was like three of us just in this car <laughs> that was awesome i've never been to durban never been i've been to cape town yeah. i was in uh, johannesburg a little bit but never uh never in durban how was it uh yeah i didn't spend it we i mean we that was our route from cape town to durban and we spent a couple nights there we stayed in a hostel in a train car <laughs> but that's basically where we kind of shot inland because we were going to one of the game preserves. Yeah. Okay. So that route pretty much goes around the, down the coast from Cape town to Durban, right? That's along. Yeah. The that's coast. what we did the whole coast. Yeah. Are you a surfer? Dur- did you do any of that? I actually, uh, did surf in, uh, J Bay. 
Um, but I'm awful. I'm a horrible surfer. Um, <laughs> so am I. It's funny because I, I, I've gotten onto a board in like, like Vietnam and Morocco and South Africa. When I'm in LA, I never get on a board. Um, but I, I was, yeah, that was in J Bay. I was surfing and I was with a couple of buddies of mine that weren't from LA. They're from Ohio. And I was like, all right, let's go surfing. I was just going like, to give them pointers. And it was high tide and some guy just comes out to the beach and he just starts whistling and motioning. And I was like, Oh, she's, I just start paddling out of the way. And it wasn't until the next day, like there was just, I, I'm just lucky to be alive. Like that's probably the closest I came to like getting hurt. Oh, it was, just, was just too this, big. It was just a reef underneath. It was just oh, like- hard. <laughs> yeah. And we, I had no idea. None of us had no ideas. The guys rented a surfboards, didn't mention it. Like, come on. Um, so in South Africa, you know, I went shark cage diving down there. So, I mean, did you in Gansby or uh, Hansby? Um, that's near Cape Town though. You were over there. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it's about an hour and a half or two hours outside of Cape Town or so. Nah, I never did. You know what? I, a lot of my traveling, uh, I've stood outside a lot of some of the most incredible museums in the world, but have rarely gone inside. I, I don't know what it is. You know, I just, you have to be a certain museum type and a lot of people aren't. Yeah. They just rather, you know, they get as much you know, just sitting in a cafe and watching the people and getting yeah, that's, vibe and that's, of the that's, town. That's more me. And we're literally yeah, just outside of Cape Town where they were doing some of the white shark tours. I basically sat there and watched the people that went and did the tours. I was like, oh, so that's what that kind of person looks like, you know? <laughs> like yeah, you. I guess I'm one of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't. And then a lot of my travels have been budget traveling. So I don't, you know, it's kind of like, eh, am I going to, am I going to do this or am I going to do that? And yeah. Well, so you probably got- missed a lot of. Yeah. What'd you miss? Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. I, I, I think I probably missed a lot of like these activities that people kind of you know that that we do as travelers but maybe it kind of maybe sent me in a different direction where i found myself on a hiking trail or something that was free or the free or the one euro you know two city tour Mm -hmm. you know which actually i don't know if you've ever done those but you actually learn a lot from those (laughs) oh yeah yeah absolutely yeah did um i'm fascinated by this boat so you have the sailboat how far have you taken it and how far have you ever gone on a on a sailing, but ever thought of like sailing this thing around the world? No, no, that's not my, I, I don't, I can't do that. I, um, like 28 days to Hawaii, like just staring out at the blue. Oh, that, that would not be healthy for me. No, I did um, it on a cruise ship for five days and I wanted to kill myself. <laughs> oh, geez. Oh. Uh, no, like I, I take it. I, I have it in, I had it in, uh, Redondo. I actually recently sold it. Um, and, you know, I just go up to Marina del Rey and go to Killer Shrimp, go down to um, Newport Beach, anchor it down there, go out to the island. So basically just bouncing mostly around uh, Southern California. But I have a license right now. And that's when I go back to Croatia, the plan is to uh, I'm going to rent a sailboat out of split and go to Havar and Bull and kind of hang out there for a little while. But never would I consider sailing there. Not like, and like, it's not like, Oh, it's treacherous or, Oh, that's gotta be like, it's the mind thing. I just, I just cannot imagine (laughs) crossing the Atlantic in a tiny boat, you know, for however many days I I would, yeah, I would literally go nuts. Yeah. Yeah. So I just, I will fly to Hawaii for five hours 
and then just rent a boat when I get there. Absolutely. And maybe, I don't know, I got to think about like what's the environmental trade-off there. Like the boat runs on wind, but the plane, you know, sure burned a lot of fossil fuels. So I yeah. don't know what to balance there. Yeah, I know. Um, but I mean, you haven't done, have you done any of the Greek islands and sailed around those? Um, no, I haven't sailed around any of those islands. Uh, no, cause actually when I was doing, when I got the boat and this is the thing, I just, I sold the boat and I, and I realized that when I, um, bought the boat, I stopped traveling as much and I kind of put the two together, you know, I was kind of like, Oh, well, I'm, free time. I should be down on the boat where normally I would have been like, Oh, I got free time. I should jump on a plane and right. You know, go see something new. So I kind of, what I want to do is spend the next few years traveling to a few more places, going places where I can rent a sailboat now, and then mm -hmm. maybe in like five years, come back and replace this boat with something else. I'm going, I want to give you the, so you, you've been to a, a split. Have you been to Corchula? No, don't know that place. Corchula is like big thing that they're, they say that's where uh, Marco Polo was from. So there's okay. all this Marco Polo stuff everywhere. But there's um, there's an an island called Lojin, L O S I N J, that I spent uh, some time on on a, on a media tour that you should really check out if you're going to go back. It's all about okay. wellness there. It's all these spas and and um, you know organic food and and um, it's just like it's a big resort area for Croatians and you know Germans of course, but you know Germans get everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, if the Germans travel a lot, but I mean, it's just mm -hmm. like it's a great retreat. So Kings used to go there to get fresh air, and and the water's like crystal clear, and the seafood's amazing. And so, if you're going to sail around Croatia, you know, after Havar, no, check that out. Which is it? Right there in that group of islands, or is it up the coast, or what is it? Um, I'd have to look at a map again. We had to fly there. We flew. Uh, there's no bridges or anything to get there so we took a little small plane you know oh, wow. which, which okay. kind of keeps it from getting overrun you know it's not easy to get to but for we we took a sailboat around the area and it was amazing it's so gorgeous so yeah cool. definitely, definitely check that out check it out um we're gonna get to uh now i want to ask you about the covid and the lockdowns in sweden because there was talks we read all this stuff about Sweden, how they were differing from the rest of Europe, that they weren't going to lock down completely and all that stuff. What did you see and how did that end up? Well, I think there's a lot of, I mean, a lot of it's centered around mask wearing, that Sweden yeah. wasn't going to wear masks. But there was, there, they are really tough um, on social distancing. And then, you know, they also, they have like, like a social net. Right. So they've asked people, if you feel sick, don't go to work. Right. And if you don't go to work, then they just they pay you 80 percent of your regular pay without a question. Right. So where I think a lot of places around the world, the United States specifically, people are like, well, I don't want anybody to know I'm sick because I need to go to work so I can make money because I have to you know, put food on the table. Whereas here, you know, it's like oh, I don't feel well. I'm going to stay home. Um, everything was shut down. Uh, my, my oldest daughter had two, she had a musical she was in and it got canceled and she had a play that she got cast in as well. And that got canceled. So no, no big groups right now. It's no groups over eight. Um, 
Yeah, everything. I mean, it's they're they're taking it serious, and I would say there's nobody here. There's no there's no conspiracy theories. You know, there's nobody doubting if it's real or not, and I think that's had a lot to do with it. As far yeah, they as actually believe in science and that kind of thing, well, it, Jesus isn't going to protect them. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's definitely what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, so there's the, I mean, there's a lot going into it, and I know what's getting a lot of attention is the whole mask thing, but there's a lot more that goes into it. And by the way, when I go shopping, I'm the guy that's walking around the store with a mask on. <laughs> I'm like the one guy, um, whether you know they work or not. I mean, people have turned the corner real quick and you know, just coughed. And I'm just like, I, I'm not taking that chance. Like I'm just, I wear a mask. No one else does. Uh, I just shouldn't say no one. If I go shopping and I see 20 people at like the little village store, if I see 20 people, maybe two other people have masks on. How about uh, testing? Is it mandatory or, or has it been widespread? They don't really even test. If you think you're sick, you go get tested. And, um, there's just, and it's easy to get. You just you just go get a test. It's not like difficult or anything. Is it countrywide or are the rules different in say like a city like Stockholm as opposed to the town, the smaller town you're in? It's from what I understand because I've asked a lot. Like uh, my neighbor was um, up in Stockholm, and I was like, "Are they wearing masks up there?" No, he told me no. I was like, "Okay." So yeah, it's just it's really based on social distancing, washing hands, and. And understanding that it's real and being careful, you know. How were the um, numbers in terms of infections and death rate as compared to say uh, Netherlands? Uh, Sweden has a bad reputation. Now they don't, they didn't. A lot of this doesn't correlate around the masks again, but they they share a border with Denmark, Norway, and Finland. Sweden right. has ten times the death of those three countries, right? And in Denmark. They're wearing masks, but where I'm at in the South, where they shut that border down, um, they were still allowing, if you were from the state that I'm in, which is the Southern state of Skåne, you were still allowed to go back and forth between Denmark because the numbers were really low. It's very rural. Like it'd be like going into the middle of, you know, Wyoming. Yeah. It's all spread out. It's like, like there's going to be a correlation where like everybody's got to figure out like Stockholm people are living on top of each other. New York people are living on top of each other. Where is it worse? You know, I mean, right. like it's in the big cities where people well, are living on top of each other. Well, the numbers are certainly going to be higher, but it's just more like per capita. You know what I mean? It's just like the average of the percentages you got to work with. Yeah. And when you look at like New York's percentages, they really weren't bad compared to like there's towns in North Dakota now that are just getting <sighs> decimated. Yeah. It's like one in every you know, 58 people are testing positive as opposed to New York. It's like, okay, one in a thousand, the numbers are going to be higher in New York, but the percentages are lower. You know what I mean? That's, that's interesting. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, and whether it's more about the hospitals and these smaller town hospitals just can't handle, they don't have the beds. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well here in, in the South, they, they prepped and they, they got ready for it the first time in, in March and it kind of never really came. Um, they're getting hit a little bit harder now the second time around, but still it hasn't of, I mean, just in like a 50 mile, not 50 mile, uh, 30 mile radius that the South of Sweden, where I live is about the size of Los Angeles. Right. So of all of like the greater Los Angeles area, 
where you guys, where we have 7 million in LA, there's only a million people that live down here. So if I say like a 50 mile area, that's, that's all of the Southern state, but smaller, like 25, 30 mile radius, there's like three hospitals. They've deemed like this one hospital as, okay, let's send everybody to that hospital. So the other ones are operating, but my buddy, you know, his, his knees jacked up and they're not going to, they're not going to look at it for two months because they're, they're putting all that stuff on the hold too. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's the same over here. It's the same over here. Like I said, the biggest difference I've noticed is, and I've, I've really like dug into it. Cause I got so many friends that are into these, you know, well, I heard this and I heard that all these conspiracies yeah. or whatever. And I'm over, I'm over here like digging in like, Hey man, have you heard that, uh, you know, like <laughs> Bill Gates is behind all this? Oh God. No, like, no. like they don't even, nobody even has any clue. And I'm just like, okay, I just wondered. The, and I, and I really believe that it's healthier to just read, understand the science and protect yourself. Yes. It's yeah. not, it's not a difficult thing. Uh, my, um, I mean, it's difficult, but it's not difficult to understand how to stay healthy. You know, it's with everything. Um, yeah. My, uh, at the start of this back in March, I interviewed a friend of mine in Milan and, you know, they were, they were locked down hard and Italy got hit yeah. really bad. And uh, I said, what's your advice, you know, to us because it's coming here. And she said, the first thing she said is like, don't politicize it. And that's the first thing we did in America. We politicized it. And then that was the worst thing that we could do. And it was true. Yeah. You know, it just, it was, should be one thing that could unite us all. For sure. And, uh, and you know, us against a common enemy. And it, it wasn't. And so, and so, yeah. And that's one of these times where the internet's a dangerous thing <laughs> where... <laughs> Um, when people look for answers, no matter how wrong your answer is, there's something on the internet that backs it up. And yeah. so it gives you some kind of like, see, I told you. It's like, no, that's wrong and ridiculous. So yeah. as someone who used to work in um, you know, newspapers and things like that, I mean, there, there are filters in those of fact checkers and <laughs> you can just print anything. And right. now, it, so now it requires people to have a, a, a filter and be, have some critical thought. And a lot of people just don't have it. And so they're getting too much information put at them and uh, they seek out what they want to hear rather than. Yeah. So it's, it's a scary my, time. Uh, the point I made to my friend was that I could go online and prove to him that blue is the prettiest color, you know, yeah. like I, I'm <laughs> right. I I haven't tested the theory, but I'm just pretty sure there's probably a web, website that would back that up and probably scientifically with charts and, you know, uh-huh. but yeah. Yeah, it's a worry sometimes. So I haven't flown at all since January. It's been almost a year, which is the longest stretch of my adult life that I haven't flown. But you've flown and not only have you flown, you've gone to other countries. So during COVID, how is it different traveling now than it has been in the past? In even as late as July, I traveled in July. Uh, I, I I flew to Sweden, and it was there was nothing. There were no there were no rules. There was someone in front of me at at immigration, and they said that they had a friend in Sweden, and they had a they had like a binder, and they said they could they could prove they had a friend in Sweden, and I was like. Oh, that person, they're not letting that person in. There's like, you know, they've stopped all travel to, to Europe. What is, what's going on? And they're like, 
yeah, okay, go ahead. And they stamp their passport, stamp their passport and just let them in. I walk up, had all my paperwork ready. They didn't even ask to see it. This was July. So at this point I was like calling my friends going like, if you guys really want to get out, like cruise over here, I'll just give you my address. You tell them you know, that I know you. And that's all that everybody else is doing. But then I returned again in um, October and that was everything had changed. Uh, I tried to leave Oklahoma city direct for Europe and they didn't want, they, the, the, the girl that was helping me wasn't helping me. She was on the phone with everybody. I've printed out the papers. I'm showing her the rules. Um, and they almost don't let me on that flight. They almost didn't let me on that flight. One of the other agents came up, asked what the problem was. I said, this is the information. She finally lets me go. I get to Chicago from Oklahoma city. There's, there's police and dogs in, in the jet bridge, which I just haven't seen. I, I don't know if there's like all of a sudden now these guys have nothing to do because there's so few flights. So they're, they're, they're all, they're all there now. I get to Brussels and this guy's telling me he's not letting me in. Um, he's telling me what it would be like if he tried to visit America right now. And I'm like, here's my paperwork. Um, it's, it's just, it's, everything's changed. They're just, you know, I, no one's getting in. I'm getting in because I have an exemption because I have my kids. I finally get through Brussels and I get to Copenhagen now and I'm already in Schengen, but I get to Copenhagen and I'm walking up to the immigration booth again, which you'd either walk in because you're coming into Schengen region or you're leaving to go to an international flight. And I walk up and I'm like, I'm going to pick up my bags, right? Like this baggage claim. And she's like, yeah, but they're even within Schengen, they've got all their immigration booths up and they're checking and double checking. And they're not letting people move around. Um, I finally satisfied her by showing her an, uh, an appointment in my phone that I had in Sweden. But here I was trying to enter Denmark to eventually get to Sweden. Then I get on the train to get over to Sweden and there's about six cars in the train and there's two immigration agents when I arrive in Sweden and they just kind of go into random cars and they didn't, they didn't come up to me. I mean, again, I had all my paperwork, but it's, it's tight out there. International flights going back and forth. If there's three cabins on a, a, a you know, a 777 or 767, there's maybe 10 or 12 people in each cabin. So everybody is, you know, they're laid out in that economy first class, you know, that, yeah, you know, that's like the bonus thing. You got that flight. You're like, what? You, as get a soon whole as you row land, to yourself. That's sweet. Yeah. And you're telling all your friends, guess what? I just got to lay down all the yeah. way. Um, so yeah, it's, I mean, the, the environment out there is different and you know, there's just nobody in, in the airports. So the guy in Brussels who was like, he was speaking to me in like some, you know, every other word was kind of like French and I don't, he was just, or it was just really a French accent of his English, but there were, there's nobody in line. It was just walk right up. So, and I think he was bored. I think he was just like, he was just chatting me up. He's like, well, you know, if I tried to go to, you know, LA and I was like, yeah, man, I, I know how it works. Man. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but he's hinting, he's not going to let me enter. And I've already been in and out and I'm on a regular Schengen visa. So, I get 90 days every 180 days. 
and he does all the math in his head and he's, and I'm, I'm cutting it close. Like I've just got days left. I don't have a return ticket. He asked me if I did. And I, I lied to him and told him I did. Um, because I know that's the right answer. Um, but he never asked to see it, which was good. Cause I really didn't have one. And when he finally let me pass, like I said, I was just like, Oh, wow. And immediately I told my friends that I called previously to come visit me. Um, just like, no, man, hang it up. There's no one's getting in. <laughs> yeah. So if anybody thinks they're going to try to, yeah, if you got a real excuse, they'll, they'll let you in, but yeah, sneaking in anymore. The lady that was in front of me with a binder to prove that she had a friend. And I was just like, I, how, a, I don't, a binder. Yeah. Like, I don't know, like how, what, what would I put in a binder to prove that I have a friend? I don't you know. know what I mean? Childhood photos of the two of you just waving like, see, I got a friend. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Here you are. Eight, okay, <laughs> here we are. You know, this is our oh, graduation. God. Yeah. So I don't know what she had in that folder, but they let her go. And I was like, Oh, this is, this is just easy. Nobody cares. I think I'm just going to have to wait, you know, uh, as much as it pains me to wait, uh, if that's the price, to pay. I mean, this is an extraordinary situation we're all living through. And if I get yeah, to sit out sure. a year, I'm sitting it out, you know, and it sucks. But, you know, I'd rather err on the side of caution. And and also, I don't really want to go to Paris and have to sit and be served in a guy with a guy in a hazmat suit. You know sure. what I mean? And uh, and distance myself in in Rome or somewhere you know, that's not traveling to me. You know, that's not the country right. I remember or anywhere. You know, it's just, it's a hassle. Everything's, everything's worse about it right now traveling. So I'm just going, maybe it's good for me to be parts of it have been good for me to stay still. A little I imagine bit. it's going to be a good, there's probably going to be a boom to traveling again when it opens up. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's going to be something like some good things are going to happen. I think on the, on the back end too. Like there might be some adjustments, like fewer people are going to do that thing that was popular before and maybe more people are going to go do this thing. And there might be a kind of a cool reset. I don't know. All this travel that you've done and living abroad at times and what has it taught you as a person about yourself and about others and about humans in general and the world? Um, I would say that we're all equal. and. We're all led by maniacs, <laughs> whatever country you're in, there's a guy in charge or a woman and they're crazy. <laughs> uh, I think my, my best example to that would be um, in Turkey, south of Alanya, there's a place called Olympia. It's like a rock climbing place. It's right on the Mediterranean. There's a little hike where the earth just like spits out fire. Um, you know, it's like size or what do you call it? It's like a little volcano or something. And at night there's campfire and I've sat around that campfire, people from Iran, uh, Morocco, Russia, myself. And we're just all, you know, drinking this like one Euro can of beer. Um, some of us, I mean, some people obviously aren't, um, <laughs> And, and we just all want the same thing, man. We just all want to explore and get to know other people and, and just to realize that like, so here's, you know, here's this couple from Iran 
And you, you couldn't, I could not decipher them from like a couple from Venice beach or maybe somewhere like closer to like Yosemite. Like they wore like the same style Columbia jacket, you know, cause they came there like they're hikers and, and rock climbers. And, and then there's like me and I'm there cause I'm exploring. Um, the, the Russians are there. They're doing the same thing. Uh, there's a girl from Morocco and, and we're all the same, but then our countries don't, why don't our countries get along? Well, because there's these people that are in charge of each that, I mean, they, you know, they, they gain something from creating conflict, right? They, however, monetarily tax things or uh, ex- exchange rates on money or whatever they're doing. Um, I, and I'd say when I lived in Sochi too, I went, I hung out at this bar called the rock bar. Dude, you could not decipher this place from a, a bar in, in Venice. Again, it's just, everybody just, you know, they're tatted, you know, they're sleeved tattoos, nose rings, uh, hooped earrings. Like, you just, you're just out there in the world with people, people just like you. And the only thing that separates, um, yeah, these cultures are these invisible lines, visible lines that were just drawn by dude maniacs. I mean, that's <laughs> now, am I like this crazy, like super liberal person with this point of view? Yeah. But what created that was all the traveling that you asked about that. That's, that's what got me to this point because I didn't have these, this point of view before. I had no idea. I tried to be friends with those Iranian people on Facebook and it wouldn't even let us do it. Like to this day, I have, I mean, I bet they're doing fine, but I'll never know because somebody, somebody won't allow that. And yeah. why? I don't, I don't even know because they were great. I mean, they were just, they were just <laughs> amazing people. And it also humbles you to realize just how long the earth's been around and history is so long and we're just on for a little bit of yeah. time. We're and just we're here tiny, and then we're gone. Standing next to the pyramids and just being like, okay, that's <laughs> big. I'm tiny. Yeah. And, and, and like even being in this small village, like Giza, I'm here, I'm here on the earth for a small time, but I'm going to be in this, this tiny, this town for, a, you know, just a speck of time and I'm going to be gone and no one's going to, I'm not unique. You know, I'm just this <laughs> piece of energy that came here and, and left. Yeah. Well, where can people uh, follow you? This is where you get your plug in for your uh, Instagram and everything else. How can people find you and follow along on your adventures? I, I would just, I'm on, I'm on Instagram. Like everyone, I don't know. Like I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, yeah, I'm not like a travel writer. I honestly, I just was always out there just doing it. I enjoyed reading other people's stuff and um, a lot of it inspired me. And um, so yeah, I'm just on Instagram at uh, Brian Souders. B-R-Y-N-S-O-U-D-E-R-S. Um, but if I was going to plug something, I would just say, uh, yeah, LA Food Bank or wherever city you're at, there's a food bank and it's Christmas. So, yeah. Uh, how did you find me? You know what? Like, I just, listen, I, tr- I love travel. You obviously love travel. It's something, <laughs> you know, it's a thing. And I, uh, and I was missing talking travel. Like I did, like no one was traveling. I wasn't, you know, Normally, like I would just belly up like my favorite bar in, in Amsterdam is an old sailor pub and you just meet people and you start talking travel and like literally like you do it to them, they do it to you like, hey, where are you coming from? I heard you say, where's OK, or they'll butt in on your conversation because, you know, you just did something in the city or something. And yeah, that was just it wasn't there. And I was sitting here in my little yellow cabin and uh, 
I was like, there's gotta be podcasts about travel. <laughs> and like, I've, I've only, you know, I've listened to your show. Yeah. For the last six months. And I went back and listened to a couple other ones. Um, so yeah, that's where I found you. I just, I just did a search. Well, thanks man. I appreciate it. And when you get back here, we should, uh, grab a beer down in, uh, in the South Bay. I'm down there a lot. I'm here in Santa Monica. Oh, yeah. So I'm close. Cool. I'm close. I appreciate you doing this, man. I, thanks a lot. Uh, yeah, I hope you got something in there you can use. I have no Absolutely. idea. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> For a guy who's not used to doing interviews, it did great. Thanks. So I appreciate it. Brian Souders, everyone. I call the whole wide world. I call the whole wide world.